is the conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never been anybody who's I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from their club. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat your children. It was just banter. Stay off the weed. And England win on penalties. History in itself. You know, I think it's a great city. I think they got the best organization in the NBA. But they do have some big old wins. I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why don't you take your pants off? Balls are fun. I understand. Come on, take it quickly, Reggie! Yeah. Yes, he's back. No wonder he's in the fucking reserves. Listen, I ain't gonna forget about this by the time we get the boat. Hello and welcome to episode 267 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett. We do have Alex Jones back here with us this evening. No Jack Harper. He has given us an excuse. Not sure whether I buy it or not, but uh, we'll leave him to explain that next week. Someone someone having a rattle around the kitchen? Just doing some washing up, are we, whilst the uh, fod's going? back for one week, Alex. We didn't have this last week. <laughs> what are you on about? Oh, God. I... My headphones are so sensitive. I'm upstairs in my room, and that, that I can hear like stuff happening in the kitchen downstairs, but... I didn't think it was that like it's faint. Jesus Christ! Then he closed yeah, the door. You, you must have the most potent headphones. <laughs> Too sensitive. The door door closed. Door closed. Apologies. Blimey! Oh, good thing I uh, deleted those comments last week, saying not to have you back on. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Can't so have. Anyway. Can't have. You can't have success with a bat with a bit without a bit of hate. <laughs> We've uh, plenty to get into this week. Uh, we've got some football to get into, some of the other football to get into, and the UFC that we had this weekend. So we'll have Alex uh, for the first part. And the news of the week, where there is actually... All right, what the hell's going on here? I can hear that rustling. I can hear that rustling. start to a podcast we've had in years. I, I can hear that rustling at that time. That weren't me. I don't think I was doing anything, but I guess it must be me. Why me? Some of the news I've got to give you this week as well. You're going to be rattling around all over the shop. All right. <laughs> start again, episode 267, for those that have uh, skipped forward about 15, 20 seconds after hearing me moan two seconds in. All right. We've got both types of football to get into, and we have the UFC, so uh, bear with us. News of the week, though. Impotent man has DIY experiment go wrong when expanding foam doesn't simply keep him extended. Uh, so I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, that, I didn't leave too much to the imagination with the headline. To be fair, no, it's quite a detailed headline, isn't it? <laughs> um, that being said, I do have a bit more info here for you because, strangely, the the, the few things we do go into are um, if someone has anything kind of shoved in either end. So, essentially, yeah, the guy's in, he claims he was just looking for some kind of way to uh, get his manhood back. Um, he was trying to get it on with his partner. 
he decided to inject some expanding foam down his urethra. <sighs> All right, that was that's me done. That's me done for the episode, lads. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Which, as you can imagine, expanded and then became anchored inside. Um, um, he says it was only when he started finding it painful to urinate that he had to go to the hospital. And by that time, he was passing blood. Um, doctors found multiple lumps of the hardened form, some as large as 11 centimetres. Oh, my oh, word. My word. Um, if you don't want to hear the detail, I would say probably skip forward about 15 seconds now. You two don't have that option. <laughs> oh, no, please. Can I get it? <laughs> a quote I don't here. want it. I don't want it. I don't want Medics it. tried to pull the foam out through the penis using special tools, but were unable to. Instead, they were forced to cut an opening between the scrotum and anus to get the final bits out. <laughs> to cut this the operation tubes. means he now has to urinate from three tubes inserted inside the new hole oh. behind the scrotum. Oh, Jesus. The I had to meet myself because I was, I had to meet myself because I was screaming. <laughs> the, the patient is now homeless, um, broke up with his partner. Oh, you wow. You do that for someone and then they uh, kick you out. And he'll be having more surgery to repair his urethra, but only after he has a psychiatric assessment. Yeah, I think you might need that. I need a bloody psychiatric assessment. That is rock bottom. I mean, if you're ever feeling bad, that is rock bottom. Yeah, um, the article, which I I do think people sometimes doubt uh, the stories we have, does reference the 15-year-old in the USB stick, so... um, Nice to link all these things together. Oh, this article has uh, a picture of some of the expanding foam. So, can't believe the partner dumped it. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> ruthless. Absolutely ruthless. I mean, actually, just so people can kind of hear this, I guess, for the part, I'm going to show you a picture of some of the foam that was. Oh. Uh, removed from his body and this this is going to knock you back I'm very no nervous. i'm not i don't want to, i don't want to see it i don't want to see it where are you <laughs> all right look in the group look in the group chat no i'm not looking i'm not looking i'm not looking you are gonna <laughs> oh my word no i'm not i don't want to look i don't want to look i'm not looking no, i don't want to look. need to because no i can't however much however much foam you think there is there's more <laughs> what? I, I'm not looking. I this can't. Can't be on my comprehension. Have you looked yet, Alex? No. Just look. Go on. You didn't show up last week. You ruined the intro. You know, you're really doing this to me. Oh my god, I'm not ready for this. Have you seen it yet? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'll get rid of that for everyone else. Oh. So there yeah. we go. Um, that's, That's it. I'll kick off a podcast. I'm That's not going to be. Words, I'm, not, I'm not going to be able to come back on the podcast now. Out of fear for a week. Alex is in psychiatric assessments. So. <laughs> All right, so I have a slightly happier story now for our second headline of the day. Uh, dead soccer player in coffins scores goal to the delight of Chilean fans. So yeah, fan favorite of this team, unfortunately died. Um, 
before his funeral was completed, they brought his coffin, they put it in the goal mouth, almost did like a one-touch manoeuvre, kicked the ball off his coffin into the net so he could score one last time um, before he was lowered into the ground. So, nice little story for you there. One last who's, goal. Who's doing it then? Werner still would have missed. I'll say it. <laughs> uh, what else have we got? Okay, Washington is drafting new rules so patrons can safely throw axes and drink alcohol at the same time. <laughs> that seems a natural Ma- combination. <laughs> I'm actually uh, I'm actually going uh, axe throwing this weekend. Nice. Is nice this a, an actual an organised event, or are you on a some sort of mission? <laughs> no, no, you just you know taking a dislike into someone. Get some axe up. Get, get get some axes and just you know go out in the. Just go no <laughs> present. It was like a Christmas present for my dad. So me and the me and uh, my brothers are taking a axe throwing. And nice. are you going to be drinking before? Uh, I won't be. I don't know about the others. Okay. Um, the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, is asking if states will allow children to drive forklifts to ease supply chain staff shortages. <laughs> Perfectly normal stuff here. Perfectly Just get normal. everyone mucking in. Yeah, we'll get the adults drunk axe throwing and we'll get the kids using forklifts. <laughs> I think everything should just work itself out. I, I work, uh, we, we've got obviously we've got, we've got forklifts at work that are used throughout the day and some of the things I've seen <laughs> those forklifts do with some of the drivers that we've had them, I can't imagine some kids having it are going to be too far away from what I see already. So <laughs> from where it happened. Alex is all for child labour. Heard it here first. <laughs> call it work experience <laughs> he gives the test um, <laughs> my favourite headline of the week stranded dog lured to safety by sausage dangling from a drone <laughs> so this was in England a uh, dog had run out onto some mud flats apparently not safe for anyone to kind of run out and get him back in after several hours, the uh, fire brigade attached a sausage to a drone, flew it out, dog ran straight back in. Happy ending. That same drone was uh, later seen at a football match. <laughs> Started with um, some bad sausage news, ends there with some good sausage news. Very good. <laughs> I like what we did there. I like what we did there. Um, Ohio man steals car with passenger asleep in the back. The passenger then was texting the police updates during the theft, like the final scene in Sex Drive, that. Yeah, yeah, it really is. There was someone in a donut suit to uh, end the day. I need to watch a film tonight for the pod, and I've been wanting to rewatch Sex Drive again lately. So <laughs> There's no football on this week. There's no sports on at all this weekend, so maybe I'll save that for Saturday. Um, okay, I don't know if any of you have seen this story. Police are investigating after a man's body was used in an apparent attempt to claim his pension. Have you seen this? Uh, no. So, two teenagers um, brought in a dead body, propped him up in front of the cashier in a bid to try and claim his pension, <laughs> despite the fact he was deceased. My word. Uh, There's another explanation seen. as to why he wasn't talking, but they thought as long as they could see his face, then that would be enough to be able to withdraw the cash. What? They've literally the seen Kenneth Burgess. 
there's, there's a lot they need to work out here. <laughs> Robot vacuum cleaner escapes from Cambridge Travel Lodge. Escapes as they're keeping him hostage. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, turtle recovered after high-speed interstate police pursuits. And finally, a Texas woman demanded to buy a child from a mother at a Walmart for five hundred thousand dollars. Police say she I mean, was going to leave it, until she that, was given that, possession of the child. That was good money. That is. Was that Angelina Jolie? <laughs> she now had to pay five hundred grand. <laughs> Bit dark as well, huh? Um, that being said, though, some rotten kids, particularly when I was working in a supermarket. So, but if some of those parents that I saw were offered five hundred grand, I don't think they'd have thought twice. This no, five hundred quid for some. A good kid, this woman that she was clinging on. And I don't know what kind of it's... it was that this woman was demanding I want this child. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not even offering, it's demanding that money. It's just, she's put the non-negotiable offer in. I, obviously the first thought for this parent was, you can't have my child. Once this has died down, do you think they were complimented or offended by the offer? <laughs> I think, because this I is think a, you've got to be a bit flattered, haven't you? Give me 20 quid for your kid. This is... I value your child at half a million. And they could have picked any kid, presumably, in that <laughs> supermarket, and they picked your kid. It's like a warped Charlie in the Chocolate Factory in an odd way. <laughs> Willy Wonka really just offered them money for Charlie, which a lot of That's people... Have I, feel, I, feel if, I, feel if, I feel if you let this get out of hand a bit too much, that it could give a whole new meaning to the transfer market. We'll start to see... How much people have? What, what's the what's the the contract offer or the uh, the transfer fee that people are willing to let their children go for? Crack baby basketball in the South Park episode. <laughs> That's definitely a story. This woman's kind of just going to wheel out anytime she's lacking in small talk. Needs something to get things going. She's going to hold it over oh, that kid. Five hundred grand for my kid. <laughs> going to hold it over him as well. So anytime they have like a bit of a row, well, I've rejected five hundred grand for you, you little <laughs> shit. I could have had my feet up. What do you mean I don't love you? 500 grand? <laughs> Every single Monday as well, when she's waking up for work, she's thinking, oh, I, could, <laughs> I, I could be somewhere else now, on the beach. You could be having a lion right now. Pina coladas. <laughs> there we go. Respect to her. Respect to the person for giving it a go. Um, all's well that ends well. Hopefully... Uh, and if they're a nice person, hopefully they found someone else down the line. Anyway, our lone football topic for today. A Daily Mail exclusive broke, supposedly, on a Saturday, I would say it was. Late Saturday, early Sunday. Mm. They say Arsenal are set to offer Mikel Arteta a new contract before the end of the season to prevent their manager entering the final 12 months of his deal. Club Chiefs have been happy with Arteta since he replaced Unai Emery two years ago and eager to retain him despite Arsenal finishing eighth in the Premier League in both of his seasons in charge. They're confident they're taking major steps forward under Arteta as he builds his team around the likes of Saka and Smith-Rowe and sidelines higher-earning older stars such as Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. His off-field leadership has impressed executives at the Emirates with Arteta playing a key role in persuading players to take temporary pay cuts at the start of the pandemic and robustly defending the club's reputation during the row over COVID call-offs. So, 
the question we're going to ask here is whether he deserves a new deal, whether Arsenal are right to uh, initiate these talks. Supposedly, the main kind of driving factor behind this is Arsenal are conscious that the expiry date of Arteta's contract in 2023 coincides with Guardiola's planned departure date at Man City, and that if he continues to improve, that could see him emerge as a successor. Um, Arteta is happy at Arsenal. He'll welcome the talks, and any extension would lead to an increase on his five million salary. Um, Arsenal is seeking to commit Arteta to the club for two more years. TK, I think you were the first person I saw reacting to this news yesterday, mm. and you likened it very much to the situation with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Manchester United. Yeah, it, it it feels very similar to me. Um, only in that when they did it with Oli, you kind of felt at the time, but certainly afterwards you felt they should have waited to the end of the season at least just to see where they finish up, have a better idea. I think that's probably how it feels with Arteta. I think over the last few, I was about to say a few weeks, um, probably more last month, um, you started to think, well, I'm seeing something from Arsenal, but we've seen a few yeah. sort of false dawns in this Arteta era, I think. So, I think that over the next few months, you'll have a much better picture. Um, and as you said, I, I think for the fact that it's two years wouldn't scare me too much. But to the same point, there's no difference to me. I think if you offer that in the summer, if you want, if you wanted to, no. um, and I, I think you it's time for a win in 2022. Yeah, this is it, isn't it? Just as this has all been talking about, Arsenal do seem to have um, returned to some old habits, <clears throat> and so you. You wonder, you know, were those games just about as good as you're going to get and now it's going to dip again? Will it come back up? There's a lot of unanswered questions for them to just be going, oh yeah, he's our guy. And it doesn't really feel hugely necessary again, a lot like the only one. Mentioning the situation at United, I think that's actually a a big part as to why they're doing this. I think... Some stability or something, does it? Well, I think we saw it Spurs over the summer, and I think even the most passionate Spurs fan would tell you they butchered that process more than they could Mm. ever have even dreamed that they could do. But I think what it did show is, for all of those names linked, obviously they've ended up with the guy that they would have liked to have the first time around. Yeah. But it showed that there's a real lack of significant names and options out there. United, there was, a, there was an article that dropped today and they say that next month they'll be kicking off their search for their new manager because they want to be able to announce it basically right, right at the end of the season. And they've narrowed it down to Ten Hag, um, Julian Lepetegui, I, I think I'm butchering that name. And uh, Lopetegui. Okay, there we go. And uh, Pochettino. I mean, those three names are the best they're looking for. Mm. And you think... If Poch is there, PSG are going to be looking at one of those names as well. Do you think maybe they think better the devil you know than gambling because the other options out there aren't jumping off the page at you? Yeah, you you are probably right. And I think better the devil you know has probably been a a factor in how Arsenal's been run for a little while now, which I think is is obviously limiting. You're you're probably never going to, if you never roll the dice, you aren't ever going to achieve much more than you do currently. Um, but you, this is a fair point. There isn't a huge amount of availability. But again, if that would be more the case. If Arteta was out of contract this summer, I'd go, well, this is a situation that needs to be resolved. 
as it is, you've essentially got 18 months left. Yeah. I don't know. The landscape can change very quickly. And for example, I know he gets linked with all every time and one, but say Brighton finish up this season really well and start next season really well, Potter's stock is only going up and up. Yeah. By which point it might it'd be to the point where one of these big clubs will go, right, I'm going to take a chance on him. And that could be Arsenal. There's something with him though that even like he's never been linked with the Arsenal job, even when the names were kind of popping up when Arteta was being linked with the sack. I wonder he's if it is just really a fashion, been... fashionable thing. I do wonder if it's just he's not seen as the, the fashionable name, even though his teams I... do obviously play really fun football. Yeah, with with me, I've been, I've been very vocal about Arteta on here. I'm still, <laughs> and I, I think Jack said it basically every time we won a game across December, it was, well, you are Tetter in now. You are Tetter in now. You are Tetter in now. And I said, well, no, because there's, there's a lot more. Like, I need to see it over an extended period of time. Hmm. And if I was to make the case for him, and I see both sides, I'm not as angry with the news as I would have been six months ago. <laughs> Mainly because, sure. one, I, I don't trust them to get anyone better is part of it. And I thought, I've said this before. These players have had numerous opportunities to turn on the guy. If they if they didn't like him, if they weren't prepared to play for him, there's been numerous opportunities where they could down tools. And, I mean, they did it multiple times under Wenger. I think that was just because of how comfortable they were. But particularly under Unai Emery towards the end, there was very clearly a case of, look, we're going to have to get him ourselves here. When we mm. went behind, it was yeah. like there was no hope. When you just listen to how the players talk about Arteta, when you look at what they're prepared to do, I mean, Tommy Asu and the result against Liverpool didn't go the, the way I'd have liked it to, um, going into it, obviously. But he, he's out for three weeks again now. He shouldn't have played in that game. That he, he wasn't fit to play, but Cedric was out, Chambers was out, and according to Arteta, he went to the manager and said, look, I want to play for the team I, I, I want to don't worry about me he didn't train before couldn't train after and he made his injury worse just Sorry? some of the performances show me that they buy into this <sighs> I, I'm not so sure I'm not sure I I understand that the point is that they want to play for him or the, in, the, in the club but I'm not so sure that's a compliment to Arteta in terms of he had a player that came to him in that situation, knew he was unfit, knew that playing him would risk him being out for longer and allowed it to happen. Regardless, well, he didn't of have any other options. Yeah, but regard no, his option he, no, his other option was not to play him and just make do with whatever he could scrap together, even if it mean meant playing a player out of position. Because now you're losing what's been quite a positive player for more of an extended period of time. I know it's a decisive semi-final match, but you've got to think of the bigger picture here. You've got to weigh up. You've got to weigh up where, you know, what you're battling but that, for. And that's an indictment potential on Arteta rather than their relationship with yeah. isn't it? Though? Yeah, my point is yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the players are willing to play for him. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, yeah. At, at board level, certainly, they must see the relationship with the manager and the players. I think you saw quite literally, they looked for a guy that was the complete opposite of Wenger after he left. 
um, so they could see what kind of the worst of both things were. And I think in Arteta, they think they've got somewhat of a middle ground. I think... I think oh, yeah, sorry, go on. Because uh, I think if you're the person that appointed him, I think you're desperately going to want to be proved right on this. And I think that's part of the reason that he's probably uh, being given an, another contract because there's a lot of people whose jobs are on the line if he doesn't work out. But even down to the spending of money, when the fact we spent, what, $130 million or something like that in the summer, if the rumours are to be believed in January, they're prepared to back him with the signing of Lahovic or another striker if, if that's who he kind of gives the green light to and says he wants. Seemingly, everyone who makes decisions at Arsenal on the pitch or in the boardroom would buy all of the stock in Arteta. So I, I don't think it's much of a surprise that, that this contract is being spoken about. Certainly not as much as uh, some of the responses would suggest. I, I, I think there is an element of stability in how things are going at Arsenal at the moment. Um, I think to look at it in the respect of what are your other options out there, then, yeah, offering him a new contract is probably the right decision in this at this time. I mean, it's not as if you're tying him in for two years and you can't get rid of him in that time. We've seen how things have gone with, you know, in the managerial role for years now. And if the right guy comes along and, you know, you want to take that next step forward, there's nothing really stopping you from making a, an attempt at Arteta's expense on that person. Plus having, I think there's quite a, a productive dynamic at Arsenal at the moment in the respect of you've got a good stable of young players which are going to be easier to manage than an established players of an established team of strong egos. So when when you get it right, when when you've got it right, that sort of that dynamic, it's uh, it works really well. And I think long term, if that sort of that pedigree of the players, the young players that you've got at the moment, starts to sort of develop a little bit more, you become a little bit more of an appetising prospect. Uh, maybe the right managers that are out there, maybe not this coming window, but the window after that um, World Cup year as well this year. So you never know who's going to shine in that. But yeah, well, it's, I, I don't, it's not, it's not a, we're, it's not a offering them a contract is not a move to, to improve. It's a move to stabilize more and just, you know, things could still go right, but I don't think you're going to go, you're not going to go backwards. And we've seen some of the horror shows in the Premier League this season so far with the managerial shuffles. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that Everton are at the same level as you, but we've seen the absolute horror show that's happening over there. Um, We're the only team uh, they've beaten. Yeah. It's kind of like a few seasons ago, a few seasons, like a couple of seasons ago, we, we were sort of saying that, you know, Arsenal need an absolute gutting an overhaul of their squad. Uh, I don't think that is the case anymore at all. You've got something that you can build on. And as much as Arteta hasn't necessarily been the success that you wanted, and he's certainly not going to be the guy that's going to take you back to that that stage that you want, 
there is some form of he's got your got your squad to that point, if that makes sense. I think everyone behind the scenes thinks he's <laughs> the guy that's going to take you to the promised land. And just from seeing his interviews, I can understand how if you're around the guy day in, day out, he probably could convince you of that. Whether, mm, that, I, whether that happens that, remains to be uh, seen. Um, that sort of aura is going to be passed on to the players as well, for sure. Not just what? like the hierarchy. Let's not forget, I mean, this is a guy that's picked up two trophies during his time at the club. Uh, two. One. one. The FA Cup <laughs> and the uh, Community Shield will uh, <laughs> count both of those. I think the way he's going to be judged is almost the, the run around Christmas and the fact that other teams had some games postponed has probably put some more pressure on him because going into the season, I, I don't think anyone had Arsenal in the top four. I think no, no. the fact that they've had an appearance in the top four has probably adjusted expectations. I think the expectation for most was they wanted to see some kind of improvement, get back into Europe and... You were top six, I'd say, was probably what people were saying is what our squad should be achieving. Whether that happens, I think the fact that they're willing to trust it means that we kind of don't have a choice for now. But I think it's the right decision um, to just give it some kind of extension. I think the fact that it's two years means they aren't getting too ahead of themselves. I, I can't be too angry at that. Has it been... A success so far, I don't think so. Has it been the disaster it could have been? I think enough happens each time to just steer clear of that. I guess we'll find out a lot before the end of the season. The the results in January so far, we're not alone in that, but the squad is gutted. I don't know if well, if anyone else had the unfortunate uh task of watching Arsenal yesterday even the highlights I wouldn't expect anyone to put themselves through but outside of the first 11 there really is nothing and the bench yesterday was um, Eddie and Ketia coming on off the bench is just horrifying so I may sound like one of the Arteta defenders but <laughs> maybe when we get this guy a proper team something's going to kick in we haven't seen him with a decent striker um, with these other people in behind him we've seen him with the striker but not the defence maybe something's going to kick in uh, when we get there. I'm not sure, but there's certainly an opportunity for that to happen. And uh, if his presence being there means the board are going to continue to invest money, I can't be against it too much. I'll remind you of this next time he's serving you at Dross against the team. (laughs) I was pretty disgusted with the game yesterday. Mm. Um, I've seen some Arsenal fans defending it, saying, look, these games happen every so often. There there very clearly is an issue that if you take any one man out of the first choice 11, the the product that we see on the pitch drops astronomically. Just being without a right back, clearly doing that. I don't know. I I think there's quite a clear issue you struggle with some of these teams as well in, in games where you're supposed to boss it yeah there is I think there is still that struggle yeah, sometimes you have a lot of the ball but don't do much with it or if you go ahead then suddenly sit back like you shouldn't go for the kill so, so I do think some of those problems that 
were worse at one point still exist, even if they have been better slightly. I think the the period in December, as much as uh, they were teams that we should be beating, there were certainly signs of encouragement just with the fact that when we had the midfield that, I guess, he wants to have, it was the first time we'd had Xhaka and party together all season and Xhaka, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on him. Um, but we were seeing some kind of free-flowing attacking movement when you were able to have Martinelli, Saka, Erdegaard in there, Laka kind of dropping deep to open up the space in front of them. So I at least feel now some level of confidence that this is a guy that can teach, can coach attacking play, is prepared to let the shackles off slightly. I think the issue is that as soon as we've dropped into what he perceives to be a squad not capable rather than say, we'll let the other 10 try and carry the load of this one person that's on the pitch. It seems to be right. If no one makes a mistake, then we can't lose. So drop yeah. back in. Yeah, it does. So it's on him and the board to uh, address the depth. The one we've spoken about, letting Maitland Niles go in the, the busiest time of the season. But I think that's a whole other uh, issue. Yeah, those are bizarre, bizarre decisions. Now, I said, I don't think you can necessarily change it because if those plans were in place to let them go or whatever, then I get that you've got it. But other clubs probably would go, right, we're going to rein this in for a bit, at least till the end of the window, and then maybe let them go when we've got other moves lined up for ourselves. It's probably what a lot of clubs would do. But if you I get believe it. The re- if you believe the reports, um, Juventus wanted to take Loftus Cheek in on a cheap loan to play the whatever 20 minutes. Uh, every month that Arthur was playing for them, Chelsea said, absolutely no chance. We're in the busiest time of the season. We're not letting Loftus-Cheek go, whether he played <clears> one <throat> game for us, whether he played 10. <laughs> so that was quite clearly the difference between the yeah. two. Yeah. I do like that to, to some extent. I would much rather see some of these guys playing. I'm a bit different with Maitland-Niles just because I am a fan of him. So I do want to see him fulfilling his potential. But if you tell me we have the chance to get rid of Pablo Mari and you don't have to see him again for the next six months, but <laughs> you may be short on the back for two games, I'm probably still going to take it because the, the disgust at maybe the performance is probably still going to be just the same as my disgust at seeing him on a team sheet further down the line. So I think there's a real effort to just kind of say, these are my guys, these aren't. And the guys that he's saying aren't his guys are the guys I would agree with saying that we need to get those guys out. So, do you uh, think? Um, do you think uh, if the North London derby uh, happens uh, not last weekend, the weekend before, and you lose it to us, and then you obviously go out in the EFL Cup, do you think that changes how you feel about this new contract? So I don't know um, if that. The North London derby match being postponed is quite decisive. Obviously, if it goes on the other hand and you beat us, then uh, obviously it goes in his favour big time because you've done the double over us this season. Which whatever like, the result, it, it, I, I don't. I'm not trying to say it's as a no. decisive match in terms of where we where we're going to finish in a league. It's just that's going to be what well, it is going to determine. That, I think. Well, it, it, it is. It is. But I'm, I, it's more of a. It's just more of a. You know, we always compare each other. We always compare ourselves against one another, and it's kind of like we've brought in Conte, who's a manager of the pedigree, which 
Arsenal, I don't know, maybe want over Arteta. And it's like it's that comparison again of, you know, we've got out the dross and just got this guy in. But yeah, it's obviously it didn't happen anyway. But yeah, how decisive do you think that is? My thing is, I've kind of, once I've understood this guy is going nowhere, it's a lot harder to waste the energy on it when you drop points in certain games. Now, if we'd lost to Spurs, to be honest, I think I would have been more annoyed for one at the game being played in light of the other fixtures. But two, I don't know. I, I would certainly have been annoyed, but in terms of the contract, I, I don't have too much of an issue just because it's a short-term deal. And I don't see us going out and getting anyone else. So I thought there was any possibility we would go out there and get Graham Potter if we sacked the guy. Then I would be far more demanding in that aspect, but I don't see that happening. I don't know. As I said last week, I think if Shaka doesn't get injured, if Shaka doesn't get suspended, we probably do play that North mm. London derby. And it would have been a horrific fixture. Both teams having countless guys out, the end product would have been bad and Kane would have got a penalty to win it. Um, <laughs> that's just how the game would have gone. But we didn't get that. And for as much as everyone was complaining at the time, you're going to have a game with higher stakes. You're going to have a game with higher quality. And the uproar from whichever side loses or drops points is probably going to be even greater. So I think it'll be worth it for everyone else that was complaining uh, in the end. I did want to touch on, um, in relation to Arsenal, the story that came out early last week about the uh, FA investigation into an Arsenal oh, player that was booked. Yeah. Um, match fixing, no. Um, the, the point of it is it's spot betting, which means the determination of the match isn't actually affected in that instance. Uh, the FA have said now they believe there to be no wrongdoing by anyone at Arsenal. So I thought you may be ignoring that news, Alex, and it was worth bringing that to your attention. I wasn't aware that that happened. Yes, yes, it has. Um, the, the, the negative news is always going to get into the limelight more than the uh, the, the counter story, isn't it? Well, the, this is the, the point I want to make on this. is 420,000 is supposedly the bet, the sum of bets that were placed on this player to get a book in, which we understand to be Granite Xhaka against Leeds. Is that, is that the sum is that the sum of bet like so sorry, I'm yes, I'm, yeah, I'm not a bad guy. So it's not that wasn't one one bet. <laughs> no, no. Um there were several bets placed in I think they returned um right. around a million, I think, or nine hundred and fifty thousand or something like this. Okay. Um so it's believed to be Granite Xhaka against Leeds around the eighty sixth minute, I believe. He's booked for time-wasting, which, when we're 4-1 up, is a bizarre yellow card to get. For a start, if I had that amount of money to bet, and I think the largest bet was around 68000 um, and it was placed around the 80th minute, betting on Granite Xhaka to get booked is about as high of a guarantee as you can get when it comes to that type of bet in football. If yeah. I'm doing a card bet, I don't. it's no point even looking at him because it's not going to be worth what I'm going to put on a fiver to get back. The other thing, which people ignored at the time, the guy probably should have been sent off just after half time. <laughs> he goes in two-footed 
And the weird thing there was he didn't even get a card. So I think if anyone needs to be investigating, I don't know what's going on, uh, it should probably be the officials, but the FA, according to, I think it was the Telegraph, did the latest article on it. The FA don't, aren't even investigating. Sounds they, like them. They had it brought to their attention by uh, an offshore gambling committee who raised the suspicions and said, look, we take a lot of bets, but this is a weird one for us to get. Kind of the... the I'm going to get this with a spit. I'm not even going to... That particular <laughs> bet. I, I just butcher that word every time. <laughs> it's odd that at this point of the game, you would get that large an amount staked on something like that. They bring it to their attention and then they say to the FA, look, it's on you basically. Look into this and see what you can find. And according to them, they don't believe there to be any wrongdoing from an Arsenal player. They have precedent. I mean, when you look at the last player that was done on gambling charges, I mean, he did play for Spurs at the time. If we're going to go around that way, Alex. Um, Who, uh, I, I'll be honest. I have comp- oh, yeah. What? I don't remember that. player at the time where he basically what he was charged because what was it? His mate said, <laughs> yeah. give us a wink emoji. <laughs> if you go into Atletico Madrid, he replied with that. Oh, uh, right. Right. The text come out and uh, he gets done. Right. If there's, okay. if there's something to be found, they have precedent for going out and ensuring they get their guy is basically the point I'm making. So I don't know. Um, if it was any other player, obviously I would say this is something you should be looking into, but I think the guy's just brain dead. Yeah, I, I, sound odd, I would be surprised that that's, I know it's a big sum of money, but like you said, a granite Jack yellow card in a game where he's already potentially should have been at one, I thought people would be, you know, putting the house on it. So, I... so it was placed around <laughs> the 80th minute, I think, is is the thing. And just all the bets flooded in. So it was like, I guess the way around, when I was trying to work out why this could happen, I guess if you're arranging something with Xhaka, you could say, if you've not been booked by the 80th minute, then we'll bet on you and then yeah. make sure you get carded is the way around you yeah. do it. Yeah. And he does commit then. He, after, after the 80th minute, he commits like three stupid fouls and then gets done for time wasting. And people at the time were saying, this is weird. Like, this is weird that he would be like this. But I just think any kind of comprehension as to what goes on inside his head, you're just fighting a losing battle. Yeah, it's, isn't it? It's, it's entirely possible. And I've long felt that this. Every now and again, you'll see one in the lower leagues, and I'm amazed there are aren't more stories. He was done when for you... years, wasn't he? There was a guy a couple of years back. Hmm. And when yeah, just when you consider these guys aren't making astronomical sums of money, there's a big market there to be met, for money to be made. As I've always been amazed that there isn't a little bit more of that going on. I'm sure there probably is some going on, but more being exposed. So, you know, it's, I don't think it's impossible that Jacques could be guilty of this, but like you said, it's uh, <laughs> trying to work him out is you're wasting your time. There's going to be, even if he was guilty of this, there's going to be plenty more games where he's just done things that are, like you said, are brain dead rather than uh, sort of something he's concocted. 
if it was like I don't know, but who'd be complete opposite of uh, Xhaka? Saka. Okay, Saka, 80 minutes in and he suddenly commits four fouls in the last... Starts charging around, yeah. Yeah. Like, this is a bit... I, I guess the weird. only flip side to that would be if you were someone who was doing this, someone you would target to say, look, this is what we're going to do, would be Xhaka for the reason that he get, he collects cards like it's, you know, like it's going out Well, immediately fashion. people were just saying, like, this is some, like, Eastern European... Mafia betting syndicate, they've got onto him and like it escalated so quickly. Of course, <laughs> people were just determined like this could be no other thing than he's definitely done this. I mean, some were celebrating it, thinking finally we've got the reason <laughs> this guy's done. <laughs> <laughs> like, playing. like getting Capone on tax evasion, like we finally got him out of here. <laughs> the uh, in fairness, if anyone's going to work out a crime, I'd get online Arsenal fans to do it because they can yeah. find people's flights, they can find everything. So get them on yeah. the case. The, the one recently that I just didn't know even <laughs> what what the the point of it was was all these uh, Blahovic rumors and the the agent supposedly being the issue, and then there was a tweet like back in 2017 when Arsenal played AC Milan in the Europa League, Blahovic's agent bet on Arsenal. <laughs> and there was a screenshot of his bet, and it was like, I mean, he may well have done. I don't know what. What the point is here? Like, <laughs> like he's so buzzing with his win that he's gonna get he's gonna get Blahovic over the line. Like I don't understand what, what he has a word of him saying. Look, I've always, I've always had a soft spot for these. They want me a few quid. You got to get down there. He's yeah, always Gab- he's always the guy who bets on Arsenal's future. That's what he's saying. Gabriel cloud formations. Arsenal fans was probably the the peak of yeah that the is- peak of this, but. <laughs> <laughs> if the betting thing was an actual transfer thing, Dortmund would be fucked. They must have <laughs> fucked so many people's accumulators. No agent would ever use them. Be like, well, look, they fucked too many of my bets. You're not going there. <laughs> so next week's podcast will be another deadline day special. Um, we do these obviously twice a year. We'll have at least these six different fans on. Do you think Arsenal get someone through the door? Uh, yes. Of some variety. Any ideas who? Who do you think? Uh, what? The, the Squad Sunday player or starting 11? Is it a beer? Is it a big sign? So, pretty unanimously after that one little paragraph in Ornstein's article this morning, I was sold. I was... I saw a compilation on my timeline comparing <laughs> Isaac and Thierry Henry's finishes and I was like, well, this is it. we've got the guy here. Don't forget about Blahovic. I've just seen this guy do a step over and I'm reading a step over in 2004. This is the guy. <laughs> um, it is great being able to do that. <laughs> I think they will. And it's because I, I do think, as I said earlier, I believe they trust Arteta to a fault. And if he I would tells agree, them, I'm I would agree. if he tells them we need a striker to get the top four, to get in the top four, then I think they'll go out. And if the deal can be done, then I think they'll do it. The the with Vlahovic, Fiorentina want to sell. Supposedly, the agent doesn't want to pick up the phone. Don't really know what what's going on there with him. Um, with Isaac, I know he has a release clause, so you'd imagine it's going to be one of them, but from the article this morning suggesting that 
Isaac was the only backup option, really. I've seen about four different names linked in the last couple of hours, so it's kind of a free-for-all for journalists. Um, I think the Arthur deal probably gets over the line in the end. I think it's, it would be weird for us to stick with it for so long without some kind of... Yeah, yeah, definitely. ...some kind of uh, sign that we can do it. But he then, after he was linked, he made a 20-minute appearance in the uh, Italian Super Cup and then he started the next game and looked really good. And I see. Allegri is kind of just publicly for the last three windows saying, we want Taron Ramsey out of the door. We don't want this guy here anymore. <laughs> Why won't he leave? Whereas Arthur, I'm not sure they're as convinced that they want to get rid of. The, the stumbling block seems to be that we want him for six months. And Juventus want us to do one of these Serie A loans where we take him for 18 months with an option to buy at the end and cover his full wages. So it's whether we see him as our midfield signing of the summer, which I don't believe we do. I think we want someone before we can get our big midfield target in the summer. So it's always an issue when Edu has to actually negotiate a transfer. If it's not a release clause, the guy is just toast. Ramsdale had to force his way out of Sheffield United for us to get him over the line. Yeah, yeah, Christ. Only a small so, part of Eddie's job, that obviously, you know, actually yeah. negotiating transfers. Um, when he was at Corinthians, they had a banner and they asked for his head because he had brought them a striker. <laughs> but I, I think it's going to be a pretty busy final week of the deadline. You look at City are linked with um, Julian Alvarez, who. I wouldn't mind getting him myself. Joan, I only know him from football manager. Um, it looks like Spurs are going to bring in Adama Traore. It looks like United are trying to bring in a midfielder. Um, it looks like Klopp's going to do a few interviews. It looks like Chelsea <laughs> want a midfielder. <laughs> Everyone, Liverpool, I think, are going to try and bring in someone big. Newcastle are going to have to try and get someone in. Exactly. And Villa is still looking at um, the likes of Benton Kerr at uh, Juventus. So, mm. As far as January windows go. I, if I offered you over under of 25 TK, when you think of the manager's press conferences before next week, over under of 25 of um, January being a difficult window, do you think we hear that more or less, the over or under? It's a difficult time to do business in January, <laughs> difficult window. <laughs> Why, why 25? Because, you know, you've, you've got 20 managers. So I think they will all say it, if that's what you're asking. I think that every single one of them will declare it a difficult time to do business. I think Eddie Howe at least says it multiple times. <laughs> he's, he's for sure. I mean, Conte will do it whilst ranting about how he needs transfers. Yeah, I mean, I was a bit hesitant to do too much transfer talk today just because there is going to be so much to do next week but mm -hmm. just some of the rumours today are just mental like this this Lingard rumour isn't, isn't going away I'm a bit hesitant yes. to believe they're going to pay £10 million for a loan but they're certainly going to pay they're willing to pay some kind of money to get this guy over the line uh, the Telegraph are reporting they want Lingard and Ali my words Take him. they also want Diego, Diego <laughs> Carlos in um, Ali was posting TikToks during the Spurs game yesterday of him with a lion filter on. If uh, you yeah, haven't seen that, his head is gone. 
<laughs> that is good. And, and LaCelso is posting Instagram stories saying, just so everyone knows, I am 100% physically fit. So we're certainly going to see some business. Um, mm. Edu's going to have to try and do some negotiating. Paratici's going to have to realise we aren't in the Italian league. Not everyone's <laughs> going to do a loan with an option and a swap deal. <laughs> but I think we're going to see some spicy deals getting over the line. Um so I think we're going to have plenty to talk about next you week. You sold me. You talked me into it. Yeah. 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 It's going to be really disappointing when we're sat there. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's happened. No one likes well, to get anything done. On the other hand, that means that I guess we'll have a lot of disappointed people on the pod, which probably makes more people tune in, to be honest. That's true. Um, yeah, I'm intending to have um, Connor on to talk West Ham. I'll slide Gotham message, as I always do. Um Connor did actually message me on Saturday saying uh, the deadline pod will probably do numbers for you if we don't sign anyone. First sports pod, so I guess killed themselves live on the air. <laughs> <laughs> I said, they do say all publicity is good publicity. He never replied, so I don't know if I gave him the answer he was after or not. <laughs> Goff, I mean, he just doesn't ever seem to be very chirpy when it comes to United at the moment, so... Uh, there we go. But yeah, plenty to talk about next week. Um, Alex, I think we probably need to speak about the UFC now. So if we mm-hmm. bid you a farewell and uh, we'll see I'll what see happens next week. week. And uh, I'll message your mum and tell her to uh, put the expanding foam out of your reach. Oh, <laughs> oh my! I was in a good place. I've forgotten about it, and now I'm going to go to bed horrified. He's not sleeping tonight. I'm not sleeping tonight. No. Good anyway. luck, Alex. Throwing. Adios. Cheers. All right, TK. I still none the wiser as to whether Sean is joining us um, to talk UFC or not. So NFL. Uh, yeah, sorry. Would be uh, quite so something if you did that. Well, yeah, I was about. To, well, he did text me on. Uh, Saturday saying Garn stoppage and I just yep. ignored it. He so, takes me saying Garn stoppage, of course. Yeah, I thought I thought that might be the case. So if we talk UFC and then uh, we'll see what he says, or if not, then we'll get on to the NFL regardless. So Francis and Garnu defeated Cyril Garn by unanimous decision 48 47, 48 47, 49 46 at UFC 270 on Saturday in Anaheim. Um, retained his heavyweight belt. And that's his sixth win in a row. Gone. the storyline was they trained together briefly in Paris. Um, he loses his first ever fight. He's now 10-1. and one. Not the fight we were expecting, I think it's fair to say. Ngannou trailing on two, of the, on two of the scorecards after the first two rounds. He was just getting peppered at range, really. Mm. He looked hesitant, thinking... I guess that he didn't want to blow his load and just bum rush him. And at the same time, he was just kind of waiting for that one moment that, that wasn't coming. The third round comes. His corner, who I thought was brilliant the whole fight, really amped him up and told him, look, you've got to go out there and take this if, if, yeah. if, if, you, want, if you want to win this. Garn tries the same kind of kick down the middle that he's tried multiple times. And freakishly from Engarnu, he just catches it and just slams him to the mat. And I get that was the point, almost like his eyes lit up, like, okay, this is this is how I win. I'm cut gem star. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
if you said to someone beforehand that that's how the fight will go, you'd have probably asked what they're taking. That's probably the last thing of all the available options. Yeah. You'd have probably said this is the last way you expect it to go. Um, remarkable, really. And a scary thought for the rest of them. And yeah. We have... I guess we probably have got to start giving credit to Francis for like the rest of his game. You know, obviously the power is always going to be the first thing we talk about, but the adjustments he sort of made to beat Stipe probably got overlooked slightly. And uh, took him down in that fight as well. Yeah, and obviously defended the takedown from Stipe. I know a lot of people have said you can see from Stipe's face once he uh, couldn't nail that takedown. Oh God, this is going to be a a tough (laughs) night. And um, yeah, the the incredible thing about him as well, a, a separate side to it is. How often, and you look at a big explosive guy like him, you think he's going to get knackered. And you look at him, you think he is knackered. And yet he does, he will do the rounds. He will get through it. It's not yeah. like he jacks it. So and when he was two rounds down to go and looked like he didn't really have many answers, no. that'd be a quick way in which most fighters kind of unravel. And yet he's maybe stuck at it so physically and mentally to keep doing it. He's uh, got a lot, like I said, a lot more to his game than we realise. I think when you look back, we learned a lot by the fact that he didn't spew it in the Stipe fight. In the he first had one. opportunities to, yeah. Yeah, yeah agreed, one, agreed. Where he stayed in there for 25 minutes, took a battering, um, that he's never going to feel that tired again in his life. No, I mean, it's a four round pace, wasn't it, really? After yeah. that first round, it was just, yeah. And I, I don't know. And he's got a good team, when, like you said, that corner work I thought was really good. Uh, yeah. In contrast, I I know they said on comms. I don't know if the translator just wasn't exact or whatever, but some of the stuff seemed fairly basic in what they were offering in the garden corner. Yeah, they seem to be more along the lines of you know what you're doing and just trying to give him some kind of motivation mm. when he was getting kind of the best of both in the Ngannou corner. Yeah, agreed. Just, just bringing in because he doesn't he doesn't train with uh, Usman, or at least his training camp isn't with Usman. Um, but just bringing him in just seems to make him feel more comfortable. I don't know yeah. if it's just that he kind of has more of a like understanding as to what he can do when he's speaking to someone that's like a friend in his corner. I don't know if he's seen the rise of Usman and he's inspired in the same way, but it, for one, he does seem a great guy. So I do like seeing him win. I like seeing him happy. I don't know if you saw the clip of him with Moreno before. Uh, yeah, that was great. The <laughs> press conference, yeah. But he's done a couple of little things like that before, and he, he does just seem a, a great guy. I was very frustrated, as you can be with the UFC, where usually if they're telling you a guy is difficult to work with, it's just that he knows his worth. It's not that he is this kind of spoiled guy that Dana keeps saying, look, I think he needs a new team around him. Um mm-hmm. Some guys just don't know when they've got people that aren't looking out for their best interests, and that's always like you think, okay, he probably is with the right people. He went in, and some people had these illusions that he could just walk on into the sunset. I think he knew that when you win, there's a championship clause in your contract that you basically just can't leave with the belts, and that's why he's got to keep fighting until he loses. This does give them more scope to be able to extend the new deal, though. But mm. I don't know. This is obviously something he worked on. Uh, Usman said this wasn't the game plan. It's just something that he realised during the fight. This is what I can do. And Garn said afterwards, "Look, this is probably the 
the easiest way that he could beat me, and he understood that. So obviously he wasn't too confident in his own wrestling going in. But is it about technique when you're that powerful? Because on the mat, there was that nice sweep in the fifth round. But in terms of the takedowns after the first one, it was more or less, I'm just going to throw you to the mat and make sure I'm on top. Yeah, you've got it. You've got to use those physical gifts, don't you? And you've got to know how to do it. So the fact that he's been able to do that, he wasn't doing it before. He was always a big guy and he wasn't able to do this before. Yeah. So it's obviously something he's learned. Um, he's been able to manipulate and use. And at the same time, you know, how often do we see a heavyweight do it with real smart technique or whatever? The one is, isn't it? Just that their sheer size is really, will be the determining factor. So as much as he's making improvements, I don't think he's suddenly going to become, you know, like a heavyweight Khabib, for example. No, which someone did mention to him in the press conference and he said the heavyweight Usman, which was nice. <laughs> um, he had it mentioned uh, to I'm just in Sean's message, go on without me, I'm feeling rough. This guy is just uh, <laughs> absolute <laughs> worse, worse spineless. Absolutely yeah. spineless. Um, he's made me lose my train of thought. I'm just that uh, <laughs> outraged in... Uh, Want to see? Okay, um, so I've seen some people suggest that he didn't do a lot when he was on top um, to win the rounds, and that can be frustrating, particularly if you bet on the other guy. I didn't on this occasion. Obviously, I was uh, on Ingarnu. I was Rory knows. Um, <laughs> but the the number one thing that you score is damage, and when you're picking a guy off his feet and slamming him into the mat, that constitutes damage by the scoring criteria. So it almost eradicates some of the need to be as busy on top because he'd done the damage in just putting him on the deck. There was no way you could see him slam him down like that in the third round and not score that the same as if he was to kick him in the chest or if he was these little light leg kicks and they were just swapping the, uh, for the entire fight. Yeah, the argument with that also doesn't stand up. It only stands up if, say, say that happened halfway through the round, but before that, uh, in the first half of the round, Garner been piecing him up. I think yeah. you have the, an argument because you'd say, well, look, he was winning on the feet and just scoring a takedown and then keeping him there doesn't necessarily constitute winning a round, which sometimes in MMA does seem to be yeah. how judges score. Yeah. Once you see the takedown, you're done, aren't you, right? Yeah. But that wasn't what happened. And I thought this was a pr- probably a pretty good uh, advert for uh, sub-fights. I know you've spoken about before where if it's 3-2, people think sort of there's like a toss-up and it's close, but sometimes you can have very clearly three rounds and two rounds. Yeah. And I thought this was a pretty pretty good advert yeah. for that. I don't think you can make an argument for either of them against the rounds that they scored. Um, I mean, the, the first round I thought you could score to Engano, I wouldn't have, but I know the one judge did. Um, just because there was a lot more pop on his punches and the significant strikes, the numbers-wise weren't too far apart so I could understand why the one Joe scored it that way although I wouldn't have no it felt but, like a gun round but yeah, yeah. I don't know the last of three I thought as, as you said fairly conclusive um, yeah and now they're in a position of what do they do next with him he either has to come to terms with the UFC or they have to allow him to just keep fighting fighting at his deal essentially each time or or losing and uh, going elsewhere. 
I think the reason he fought with those injuries is because he probably knew he wasn't in the best of graces with the UFC brass and probably couldn't afford to have the fight rescheduled. They'd probably have stripped him of the title. Yeah, I'm sure. But I think if you're the UFC, as much as you may say this guy isn't easy to work with, they paid out one and a half million across the entire card. Not a good look, that is Saturday. it? No. Not a good look. When um, the fighter pay issue, I mean, it's, it's, not a new, it's not a new issue. We've said on here before, I certainly have. Shamelessly, I know that, that for us it's great because it means that these guys, we still get the fights we want to see because... They don't. They aren't in a position to negotiate. It's either my way or the highway, as Francis was finding out. That, that that's a horrible look. Yeah, yeah, dreadful. And the other thing is, I don't think it's necessarily you have to be a direct choice. I think they can make more money, considering what the UFC is bringing in. They can make more money while still making these fights. Well, they're constantly announcing more profits. The yeah. pay-per-view price went up again on Saturday night. Um, $75 now for that if you were in America Oof. paying okay. for that pay-per-view. So they're constantly bringing in more money. They just released all these NFTs and well, I, I don't know your thoughts. I can probably assume your thoughts um, are similar to mine. Um, effectively now they're, they're selling them like trading cards and they release like the knockouts and things so you can own I don't know Overeem getting knocked out by Francis. Right, for whatever right. price that goes for, you and the other fighters get 25%. Each of the UFC gets 50% of that, as if they need any more cash. <laughs> just outrageous. Just so just everything is just stacked against these guys. They just signed mm. another massive deal with um, some crypto website. It's like, just either keep these things quiet or stop announcing these things in the way that they are. Yeah, it's just, just brazen sort of uh, look how much money we've got and by the way you're not getting any so yeah that, so it shouldn't be too hard to come to terms with Francis if, if he does want to stay there I would think there's there's plenty they can do you're paying the guy 600 grand if you pay him 2 million a fight that's still not even touching the sides this is that's what, that's what I mean getting. that's what I mean he can they can increase his money to the point where he'll probably settle down and you know it's not it's not affecting the city. You're not asking. No. <laughs> they're not asking for the world there. And so the thing is, bizarre. I don't know about about you. In terms of like speaking to other people about UFC that probably wouldn't normally be watching it, he's somewhat of a recognisable face, mainly because of the knockout of um, Overeem and just the fact that all of the kind of Facebook clips that go viral. There was the one of him um, on the punch bag saying that. He was like the hardest hitting person in the world and all of this. They've actually not done a bad job marketing him. They there's a lot Sounds... more they could be marketing, but Yeah, I mean that's it, isn't it? I mean he's the sort of the baddest man on the planet, Monica. It's kind of yeah. his if he wants it, it's, it should be his and it's kind of the in the in boxing it's kind of an open thing. I mean it fury is, but he kind of isn't. It's he's not a knockout yeah. artist, so it's slightly different. Um doesn't have that same sort of aura. Uh, you are right in terms of some of his marketability. I wonder, it's going to sound stupid, but with him even just having a bit of a feature in that Jackass film that's going to be out, 
whether that yeah. can send him over the top a little bit more as well. But little things like that kind of can quickly sit, sort of slip you into the mainstream. And he is the sort of guy that people will go, I saw that guy on a highlight reel, I'll watch him again. We we don't need to go over his entire story, but it, it's not an exaggeration when you say he has a story that they probably will make a film out of at some point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Like the UFC, I think, have done a decent job marketing him, but there's so much more you can do. And if they can get him on side and they really just go all in, you have potential to make this guy a Rousey well, McGregor, sorry, probably hard to touch, but you can make this guy a Khabib. You can make this guy that kind of secondary level UFC star. He, Yeah, he should be. And, and this is a rare instance where you would say, if this guy was in boxing, he would be absolutely huge. It'd, yeah. it'd be scary because you've got essentially... You're 50% of the way there just by being a big heavyweight. That's People are in. People want to watch. Having that freakish power is, a, is an extra thing. Having that story... I mean, imagine, like, say, this boxer falls into Eddie Hearn's lap. Yeah, He'd have yeah. people all over it, wouldn't they? So yeah. that is one of the things where, you know, we've said, I don't say countless times, that BFC will give you a platform, but they aren't that great at building a star. They, they yeah. kind of build you to a point, but not enough, and partly by design. Well, they, want, they don't want you to be too big. Yeah, <laughs> they saw the sort of monster they created with McGregor, didn't they? They thought, we can't have another one of those. Um, so, that, yeah, that is part of it. He's, he has got a ceiling on where there shouldn't be a ceiling. There should be limitless, really, for a guy like that. But there's definitely more they can do. And with the heavyweight contenders, I mean, you've seen the guy can beat Stipe, and, and they'll be hoping that he beats him again, I'm sure, because for all they say about Francis, Stipe was probably harder to work with, just he didn't take their shit in the same way that Francis would, in that he quite happily came out and was like, strip me of the belt if you need to. I'm not going to be fighting until I'm ready to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then when you add in, not that they're not respected over here, but if you're any kind of public servant in America, look, the fact that he's a firefighter, pretty bad press for the UFC if they go against a guy who says, look, I'm just I'm just trying to save some lives here and you're trying to get me back in the cage. Yeah, it's not bad except the sleeves. No, and then the, but then what I mean, the other guys in the division, you can do the thing where Rousey's going out and she's collecting necks in like 10 seconds. Uh, some of these guys in the division, like... You put Ngannou in there with Tui Vassa. You put Ngannou in there with Greg Hardy. You put him in there with these second-rate guys who you can probably manufacture to a title shot. You can have a a, a pay-per-view supremo on your hands because yeah. people are going to tune in to see this guy take someone's soul. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Exactly. And on the other hand, then, if you don't want to go that way about it, this is going to be a long road for you to do this negotiating, but John Jones is still there on the sidelines. It feels a huge miss if you don't get John Jones in there, who is known to a casual audience, and there's a story built in there, in there with the baddest man on the planet to face. So you've got the GOAT against the baddest man on the planet in his heavyweight debut. What the hell are we doing here if this doesn't end up on pay-per-view? 
no, no I've been staggered. And, and this is, uh, I will admit, obviously, largely on John as well because of his own uh, sort of extracurricular yeah. activities. Um, but I've been staggered at the UFC sort of lack of push to get John Jones in with Ngarni. It just, for, only because he could easily have lost that to Garn, and then that's a huge yeah. fight out, out of it. That's a huge fight, huge payday for everyone that is gone then, really. I think they felt comfortable somewhat in that aspect, in that they thought, if if Garn beats him, we're just going to transfer that stock, and then we've still got Garn and Jones. Just, just not the same, though, is it? It's it's not, but I think they they felt they could make it. You've got a big unbeaten heavyweight then, and he's still in there with John Jones. So I think they felt somewhat confident in there. The issue is, any kind of negotiating they have to do, they seemingly just don't have the heart for it. Um, no, you, you are right there. Yeah, any deal that seems to be tough to make doesn't seem well, to be able to get done. After he beat Stipe, Jones tweeted, didn't he, saying, show me the money. Yeah. And yeah. then they went to Dana, first question in the press conference, John Jones tweeted tonight, show me the money. How soon can we expect that fight to get on? And Dana said, well, look, I hear a tweet like that. That doesn't sound to me like somebody wants to fight. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't expect to see that fight next. And so it was like that quickly. You, you pour water on what should be the biggest fight you could possibly make. So what are we doing here? They've got chance now. Jones has been bulking up. Um, I'm not completely sold that he's happy to jump in there. I think he's probably more happy to jump in there after what he saw at the weekend. You think he's more happy after the weekend? Yes, I think he's seen two guys who he feels are so far technically from his level that he thinks his size and athleticism is going to be enough and he can get in there, duck under a big loop in right hand and take him down for five rounds. I, I, I believe he is convinced he can do that. I mean, you know, not without good reason. You can't. <laughs> he should be. That should, that should be how he feels. If you're the UFC, one of these guys, you're not going to have to pay heavily again after the, after that fight. So yeah, that's they yeah, may that's as well it. pump the money in now. You saw. Uh, if you're the yeah, UFC, I, who do you hope wins that? Out of Jones and Ngarni. Yeah, it's a brutal choice, isn't it? That's kind of the thing with the UFC on this. They should get it made and. They could and probably will lose both anyway. Really, I mean, Ngano is talking about the boxing thing. At some point, he'll get out of there. But that'll probably be when he loses. And then Jones is just such a law unto himself. You never know when he's going to be off. I don't think they make that fight without making them both sign new deals to do it. Because that's that's the reason they couldn't make the GSP boxing match that they've wanted to make for so long because yeah, when he yeah. came back he won so his, his contract was extended and he, he had a contract already and they just will not let him out of that contract to do anything else without saying we have to be involved but if you're Triller or whoever else and they say so if you want GSP you're going to have to give the UFC 10 million dollars you'll say well, don't worry about it we'll go we'll get, get someone else <laughs> yeah 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 exactly you think it makes perfect sense to make it but if I asked you who you had to who you'd put your money on to see 
Francis fight next? DP, you're thinking? Yeah, I think they probably will do that. Um, which I don't hate, and it's probably fair to Stipe that they do. Yeah. But it's, again, it's the, the age-old thing. They've had it for a little while now. They've had it in the heavyweight. They've had it in light heavy over the years. Once the, I think there's a, probably a pretty clear one and two. And once one beats two, it's quite hard to get again. If Stipe does still fancy another run, like him and Garn, for example, could be interesting. But yeah. really, Francis establishes himself as a man. Garn is like the next guy and he's just beat him. It's hard to get up for another fight that isn't something different, i.e. John Jones. Yeah. It's, it's hard to get up for that, I think. I'm still so desperate to see Stipe against John Jones. I'm just so desperate for that. <laughs> again, another just... another miss. I mean, that's just the worst one that Jones could possibly have stepping up to heavyweight. A guy who can do it all punches like a truck. Yeah, that, that's it, isn't it? Could, ma- <laughs> could match him. Generally, could not exactly match him for speed and athleticism, but not a million miles off. Whereas, you know, obviously, the disparity between him and Ngarno in that regard is yeah. clear. If Jones yeah. wanted to go to heavyweight, like he should have just jumped when DC became the heavyweight champ. Like just yeah, yeah, he should have. It's so simple for him, but, but he obviously decided not to. Or I think his uh, his career planning or lack of has been pretty staggering because he moved up from he vacated at light heavy as Izzy was going to come up. There is a ready made rivalry. He needs yeah. to make a pot of money against the guy stepping up, who you presumably would really back yourself against. You can end that one and move up to heavyweight. And he's just got it all horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah, he's done himself no no favours. Um, I actually saw a tweet the other day saying uh, if John Jones turned heel, he'd be massive. And it's like, what do you think he's been doing for <laughs> several years? <laughs> he's not been like a baby face. Like, he's, he's not been a uh, beacon of society. He's not, like, he's not been a quiet boy, has he? No. His latest defence for the charge against beating his missus is she dropped the charges and Chael, Chael, had it. Chael got arrested as well. Piecing up five men, wasn't he? Yeah, I like the, um, proud sure wasn't. <laughs> yeah, his one sounds a more honourable arrest than John Jones, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, thing, the thing with him is, I know that, that tweet is ridiculous, but Jones has got that, even that all wrong because he's, you're supposed to, well, you're supposed to do what Chael does, where you play the heel, but you're clearly an all right guy. Whereas yeah. Jones has tried to be a good guy and is clearly a total bastard, which is the worst combination. That, uh, I say it every time we speak about him, that way where he just kind of reveals his true colours in that interview with DC that they don't know is being recorded. Yeah. Where he says, you're still there, pussy. And it's like, that is the best promo I've seen in all of my time watching UFC because it was real. You saw this guy who was supposed to be like the face of your brand, and then he thinks the mics aren't rolling, and he's talking <laughs> about cocaine and hookers, and I could kill you if I wanted to. Yeah, that was um, where just that that moment where he goes, uh, "He's still there." But that's kind of yeah. where he like sits back. It's kind of if they um cut it differently, they could have done it like uh, when they're doing like making a murderer thing. And they're like, it was at that point where I knew something was off about this guy. (laughs) I I know um, me and uh, Jack uh, Evans, when he would come on here, we'd always say about it, and we were like, 
we just need him to embrace this. Just like, don't pretend you aren't this guy. Just go with it. It must be easier for you. You don't have to pretend. Yeah, yeah. And and people would have gone. Oh, I found Jesus and this and yeah. There we go. Stuff that no um, one's interested in. Yeah, bizarre. If we go on, then so the NFL divisional round was this weekend, and uh, if anyone, I know we were, and if anyone else was lucky enough to kind of just sit yourself down, whether it's, uh, well, I guess, it, it, in bed for some of us, the times they were on, but if you're in America, just sit yourself down on a couch, whatever, and just having two days watching these four games, you're probably pretty thrilled with your decision. You certainly don't feel cheated out of your time. Um, the game's delivered just about everything we could have asked for not quite everything we could have asked for but everything we could <laughs> ask for in terms of kind of uh, making a script three upsets four close games uh, dethroning in Nashville you had a battle in the snow at Lambeau Brady doing Brady against the Rams and then just an all-time classic between the Bills and Chiefs, which we were desperate for when we were speaking last weekend. I don't think either of us can say we've been watching NFL long enough to go out and make a claim like this, but if we just take the word of everyone else, I mean, gonna say, yeah, this is probably the best four-game divisional round that's ever existed. Three games decided by kicks on the final play, and then one equalising with the final play and then going to overtime. But if we're not going to go in order today. If we just start with Bill's Chiefs, because I think this is the game that deserves <laughs> most attention. Yeah, yeah. This is one of the greatest games in history, and I don't need to have seen every game in NFL history to declare that. If there was a game or multiple games better than this, we would have heard about them. They would be famous. We would, we would have seen the highlights. They run down your throat. Yeah, inside the final two minutes on Sunday, the Bills and the Chiefs combined to score 24 points, four leads, just insanity, and two quarterbacks at the absolute top of their game. This wasn't like the Packers-Niners game, which we're going to get to, where it's essentially two teams trying to give the other one the game and saying, <laughs> yeah. you take it, no, you take it. This is... Two teams that, uh, I mean, you could talk about kind of defensive coverage, two offences that barely put a foot wrong. Both turned up, didn't they? It, you know, we spoke on it last week that this was potentially the game of the weekend. On paper, it yeah. should be. But you just felt, will both these teams turn up like they can? Because it's kind of the big boxing match where you've got two bangers in there with each other. One of them probably isn't turning up in truth, isn't it? We're probably not getting Hagler Hearns. And as much is. as you want it to. Yeah, yeah. It's probably not going to happen. And yet, that's exactly what we've got. Allen and Mahomes were operating at a level that is just staggering. I mean, staggering that one of them can do it. They both do it at the same time. It was a, it was a treat. We got the, the, the tone was set, wasn't it? The, the game starts. Josh Allen goes from one end of the field to the other. They score a touchdown. The Chiefs then take it from the kickoff, go straight down the other end themselves, touchdown, and it was like, okay, we had two, what, what was it, two touchdowns each at halftime? Mm. 
And then we would say, okay, we've had a great half there. It'd be nice if you could do that for another half. <laughs> and then, I mean, not even just to go through the whole game, even just to go through the last two minutes, Gabriel Davis, who has the game of his life, 201 mm. yards, four touchdowns. His route that, that he runs to uh, drop, I can't remember which defender it was, but the zag, the zigzag he does to drop his man mm. on the route with what you think is to end the game. You've got Tyreek Hill. I mean, there's people going online today complaining that he's not been given a taunting chance of whacking <laughs> his finger while running into the end zone. Oh. What the hell is wrong with you if your takeaway from that game yesterday is this guy wasn't punished for probably the coolest thing on the field yesterday? No, I mean, you must be a very depressed individual if that's your takeaway from that game, my word. And he I is, by the way, is just... That. Yeah, yeah, that's great, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a perfect advert for... Why we say countless times how stupid taunting rules are anyway. Yeah. But imagine if they'd pulled that back. You'd be like, what the hell is what is this? I mean, by the way, Hill is freakish. I mean have you have you ever the, seen speed like that? No, the, the sports. The speed and how he's just sort of so slippery as well. Like people think they've got a hold of him and the next thing you, they don't. I remember the first time you saw Theo Walcott run properly at Arsenal and I think of the, the run against Liverpool in the game but I don't that's the one isn't about. it yeah. yeah and that was like this was a guy who in our time it wasn't a case of like a Maradona dribbling this was just a guy who was fast and he was ran faster yeah. the ball straight line um, one that no one outside of Arsenal fans will have seen is uh, Rio Miyake who played for Arsenal for about three games got loads of bolts and never heard of again I remember seeing people him like, run. Lights him on FIFA because of how quick he was. People like <laughs> Yeah. I remember him seeing, seeing him chase a ball down in the League Cup and it was the fastest I'd seen anyone run in person. This, he, he, you see him take off and he's just gone. Like, you can't blame the defenders. They, you never look at them and say, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? It's just like, when he gets open space, you're finished. You're toast. What the hell that- are you going to do with this? That spin he does on the run is is like straight out of Madden. You're like, how is he just sp- spun through yeah. those two players? And the the best thing you can say for him is, you feel it as a viewer, and the team can seem you can see it when they have it. When he receives it from a kick, you're worried. You're still worried yeah. that he's yeah. getting it from a kick. You're like, oh my god, he could score it, which is just insane. And it's like, I know Sean hates the Chiefs. I mean, he could be saying this himself if he uh, if he was here, but. Um, <laughs> I, I find it hard with 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 them um, to hate them purely because they are just so much fun to watch. Like any time I have the opportunity to sit and watch Mahomes and Hill, it's maybe not so so much. If I mean, if I'm seeing you play Washington and I'm seeing you do this, maybe okay. I was hoping for a close game. This isn't really anything to get excited about. When I'm seeing you do this against one of the best offences in the league against one of the best teams in the league and you're still performing at this level, I don't know how you can hate it, to be honest, because it's just dynamite to watch. No, I, I'm i in agreement with you. And, and look, I was about to say, maybe we might feel differently if you pieced up our team, but that would involve our team getting to a Super Bowl, so I feel like <laughs> I could even forgive that at this point. Um, 
So that is partly, and also the only thing, the closest I probably will get to it was probably last night where as great as this was, it probably is even better if the Bills win. Yeah. Just yeah. because there is that underdog story to it and they pulled it back and there, and then it would have been all the road teams win, which I believe would have been the first time that had happened in this round. So there would have been something to that. That kind of felt like that was the picture book ending was the Bills winning it. But again, it, without being horrendously cliche, there isn't really a loser in a game like that last night. And that's a horrible thing. I've, I've kind of winced that I've just said that. But well, no, as, a neutral, as a neutral viewer, that's how you feel anyway. I was actually about to say the same thing. Literally mm. the, the same thing. And I was going to also say, I don't feel good saying that. But I was looking at, I was looking at Josh Allen after the game and Mahomes um, ran the entire length of the field didn't celebrate with his team just to go straight to uh, Josh Yeah, Allen. allow me to be very cli- cliche, but that was very classy. I will say yeah. that was impressive. And there was no way you could look at Josh Allen after that and say, you're a loser because the way the overtime rules are, the guy didn't get a chance to even make it back himself. You, he did nothing to lose it. He did everything that was asked of him. By the way, on that note, Am I being crazy in terms of... I feel like the Americans are overcomplicating how overtime can be fixed. Well, look, I've seen a lot of people saying... Sort of like, people are saying it needs to be fixed but not offering solutions. It's not fairly simple. If they score a touchdown, you get the ball and you have to go and score a touchdown. If anything less, even if you get a field goal touch and kick a field goal or whatever, you lose. Is yeah. that not the yeah. easiest way of doing it? It's, it should yeah. stop. You, you know, I know they're going to paint this... Um, hypothetical scenario where they keep scoring touchdowns. But even these two would have eventually had one picked off or whatever. So it's not like you're going to be there all night. It's uh, the answer uh, with with that was um, as well that uh, they would say things like, okay, well, we just play normal and you have to go for it on fourth down every time and just all these things. And like you said, it, it seems pretty simple to me. 2017, I believe it was. Um, and they do this. I don't know if they do it in football or not, bar football. But I know they do it in basketball where the kind of GMs or whoever it is, they gather at the start of each season and they suggest or debate any potential rule changes. So they suggest it and they sit in a group and they say, OK, we're in favour of this. And they put it into motion, whether it's immediately or not. But they put these things into action, like we're getting now with away goals being eradicated and that kind of thing. And before the 2017 season, or at the end of 2017, before 18, the Chiefs in this meeting came forward and said the overtime ruling should be changed. It should be that both teams at least get a shot yeah. with the football in overtime. And it was unanimously voted down. The rest of the league said no, yeah. Huge irony. Um, so it is frustrating that a coin toss can can be what defends it. It's very easy to just say, well, defend better, but but you could assemble the greatest defence ever. The way Mahomes was moving the football last night, I don't know what you were going to do to stop it. (laughs) (laughs) That's it with both of them as well, is that if they just kept like, you'd see them look up and if nothing was on, they'd just rush. (laughs) And both could just run like a receiver. It's mad. That two-point play from Josh Allen um, to Stefan Diggs to put the Bills up three um, was just insane. Then Kelsey picks up a third and ten. Tyreek Hill takes a Mahomes 
64 yards to the house. That's when he's uh, running. That's when he's uh, wagging the finger at him. Josh Allen gets the ball back with 62 seconds and three timeouts. He's actually too good. Drives down 75 yards in 45 seconds with using only one timeout. The Chiefs then do down here. Uh, yeah, the Bills then pick up a 36-33 lead with 13 seconds left. And were you thinking at the time, when they play this kick into the end zone, because as soon as Jeff Reinbold said it, I thought, okay, that makes perfect sense. Why didn't they keep the kick in play? At the time, I was thinking there's 13 seconds left and I wasn't even comprehending the fact that they could go all the way down the other end and pick up a field goal. Yeah, I mean... And you have to conclude, obviously, that Jeff was absolutely right. What were they thinking, yeah, yeah, don't yeah. you? Um, I mean, but, but like I, you said, the flip side is, I guess you yeah. have to say to yourself, if someone wins it with 13 seconds to go from where they were on the field, you've probably just got to go, well, fair enough. Yeah. Because I mean, it shouldn't be possible. It's just he was saying it like he was outraged. And I thought, OK, what you just said there makes perfect sense. But in the moment, I never even considered that. I thought that is a, okay, that is a special doing... team's coordinator, though, isn't he? So he's he's on those things. Yeah. Yeah, because he, he was actually brilliant last last night, I thought. And he was providing the analytics, wasn't he? He said, what, 3% go more than 45 yards from. As much as we joke off. about it, he's, he's great value. He's absolutely yeah. perfect for a UK audience as well, where he will break things down in a way that if you know NFL, but you don't know it as well as maybe someone who's had it since birth, he's absolutely perfect for sort of filling in the blanks with people. Yeah, they, they've been great. And I think it's why so many of us over here have been able to pick NFL up because um, I was fairly late into it. I mean, I was probably about early 20s when I started watching it. So probably mm. been, what, Don't six, yourself, seven sorry. years now. Yeah. Um, but I just mean... they got the good chemistry between them as well. Don't yeah. they? When they get the, around the NFL guys in there as well, it's, helps that Neil obviously does have some prior relationship with all of them, which does tie it all in nicely. Yeah, I feel they make a game that could be incredibly intimidating and they kind of take that away in the... I think they're pretty clear, just in the, in the way that they explain some things, they're like, these are almost... This is new to us in this situation, some of these things. Yeah, or yeah, when it's exactly. something like that, they break it down and say, okay, this is what you should do, this is what happens, blah, blah, blah. And then you're still picking new things up because if even what six, seven years down the line, you're still learning new rules because so many, well, so many random occurrences happen. happen, don't they? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so I mean, recency bias, as I said, to kind of kick this off, but I think the, that game last night certainly other case of being just one of the greatest games ever and I think we can confidently say I th- that I think the point you touched on as well but as we talk about with the other games this weekend and also other classic games that we've watched it will tend to be that one team fucks it and the other one mounts a comeback for example and it's going to sound like I'm just hating on him the Brady comeback ones have been because another team has capitulated because <laughs> they fucked it you know it's out all, you know, the or a freakish one where, you know, like Nick Foles for the Eagles just has a game where you're like, I can't explain this. Whereas this was two teams coming in, everybody thought they're the two best teams, everyone thought these are two gunslingers, 
and they actually delivered. It just yeah, it just rarely happens in any sport that you know these two teams perform at their best. It's kind of you know. Federer and Nadal, when we watched that Wimbledon final, we were like, okay, both these guys yeah. <laughs> have brought their A game here. Yeah. Um, if we go back to the first game of the weekend then, so rookie kicker... Evan Feels ages ago now, that. Yeah. Right. Takes down a 52-yard field goal as time expires, lifting the fourth-seeded Bengals past the number one seed Tennessee Titans, 19-16. Ends the NFL's longest active road playoff skid. I mean, the, the tone was set pretty early when Tannehill is intercepted on the first play of the game <laughs> three times across the duration. And uh, of those three interceptions, they they kicked two of uh, their four field goals from it. So they punished almost every time they were given the opportunity to. Yeah, I mean, not to sound like you're hitting on too much, but Tennessee will always have a ceiling. If Tannehill's their guy, they've kind of yeah. built around it. Obviously, Derek Henry is Derek Henry. Uh, we'll chat uh, in a second. And credit where due because they've still obviously got the the one seed. Yep. Whilst Derek Henry's been out, so it's not like they're dross. But you just feel like in these big moments, Tannehill's just just not going to be the guy. Yeah, I think it's always um, this was one. If you were going to go out and kind of put your neck on the line and say. I fancy it upset. This wasn't the boldest call to make of the weekend. Um, but still, it was like the Titans should be winning that game. Um, but you consider how Bengals are banged up and you consider how much they were able to get to Joe Burrow. If you told yeah. them that, I think they would have thought, right, we can do this then. So that, that tells you something. Fact. Yeah. <laughs> well, the stats they were shown in the game like, you, you don't win when you get sat that many times so, yeah, that yeah. shouldn't happen something's gone wrong on the one end I tweeted that um, R. Kelly clip from the interview he did and I thought it was our Joe Burrow was where he's like fight, fight, fucking life <laughs> because it was like we, we've seen where it's just good play and the offensive line is doing everything they can I don't know if he just didn't get them a gift that we hear about every single season where the quarterback <laughs> buys his O-line like all these lovely Rolexes or whatever, it was like they had a point to prove against him because the gates were just open and they were saying, go straight through, take your hit. Yeah, he, he, got, he bought them all a bunch of Casios. They weren't happy with yeah. it. So what are these? Sat nine times but throws for 348 yards become the first quarterback taken number one overall to win a divisional game within his first two seasons. He, when we're talking about um, Mahomes and we're talking about uh, Josh Allen just then, Joe Burrow was incredibly fun to watch this weekend. He's, He's a special talent, to watch this anyway, yeah. He's, he looks the part, he talks like the part. Mm. He's um... easy to root for. One of the, yeah, thinking of easy to root for, um, kind of the antithesis certainly of Mahomes at the Chiefs and even slightly Allen the Bills is you're kind of seeing just what he can do because he's having to elevate himself above what's around him. Yeah. Whereas they've obviously got quality around them as well as being very good. Yeah. So you're kind of doing a, you know, kind of like a, in some of the Dross Liverpool teams, if Gerald would have a screamer, you're like, God, this guy really is dragging what an yeah. ordinary team here. And he's that sort of thing where you, he can stand out and 
if they can't build obviously around him, he's another one you can f- throw the Bengals in with those teams going forward as it is you do wonder they're just going to get savage don't you after this not yeah. as much as they got through the Titans I'm sure they felt the effects of that yeah anyone that's a neutral has been in, has been rooting for them the last two weeks just because they're, they're, they're great fun to watch um, Derek Henry who you've mentioned um, 2020 offensive player of the year obviously picked up an injury as you said um, playing with plates in his foot, plates in his boot, um, ran for a touchdown, finished with 66 yards, but he didn't look like he had the same pop that he usually does. He wasn't mowing through players in the same way that he can do. And There's that one play where he quite visibly hesitated, wasn't there? Yeah, he, might have been, hesit- he might have done that anyway, but there's, you know, once you've you, you're putting two and two together, right? you go injury and out for a long period of time, hesitates when he comes back. One maybe caused the other way. Maybe it didn't, but as it looked, it looks like it did. I was going to say, I, I, I hesitate to, to use these words, but I thought they dealt with him quite comfortably. Um, they had the right amount of fear when he was on the ball in that that we can, this is probably the guy we double, triple team or whatever. But they didn't ever look like he was going to run over them and take the game. He was never in a position where they just couldn't deal with him. And each time he got the ball, you still thought, okay, it's, it's one of the going to push on, but they couldn't. It's where the issues with Tannehill are twofold, is that it's not just that he's a bit short on quality, it's that in preparing for the Titans, I imagine all week you must be going, right, we're going to formulate a plan to stop Derrick Henry. Yeah. And we'll figure out the rest as it happens. You know, Tannehill will let us down, will let him down eventually. And so it's just up to us to keep this guy quiet in a totally different way, but in a way that with the Packers, they're going to go, well, look, Rogers is going to give it to Adams. In, in crunch time, he's going to give it to him. So yeah. if we cover Adams, we're limit- Rogers is going to have to do something spectacular and probably won't want it. He's not going to trust other people. So it's, in a, it's obviously a different way when you're, you're talking about a running back. It's, it's even harder to obviously defend and the Bengals did well. But that is part of the Tannehill conundrum they've got there is that People don't have to worry about him so much. No. Derek Henry, by the way, a guy that Sean said would not make it in the NFL. Um, and I'll continue to mention that. <laughs> that is, that's a brutal take. If he has said it, I'm sure he will. Gen- deny this. I'm just, I'm just offering, as he's not here, I'm sure he will deny it. Mean, I said it last week when he was on, just to be clear. I'm raving about him because I was watching him at Bama and I've never seen... Men vs. Boys stuff quite like it where he was just moaning. <laughs> that must have been brutal, people. to be fair. <laughs> and essentially, I don't think it was a unique take in no one expected him to be as dominant as he has been. But the take was basically he's going to break down in the NFL. You can't do this to guys who are trained to stop you in the way yeah. that they are. And it just turns out that the guy is a phenom, but this season he has started to break down. So, um, Tannehill then gets intercepted um, right at the end of the game from memory. And then uh, they drive straight down, field goal yep. to win it. Um, the kicker, supposedly, uh, Evan McPherson, before he goes onto the pitch, says, uh, looks like we're going to the conference round then, boys. That is, that is phenomenal, isn't it? 
I loved the interview with Joe Burrow talking about him after. Anytime you say someone's got ice in their veins, look, I'm sold. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the way he said it, and he said, look, you can just tell a lot about a kicker by the way they come in on their first practice and the way they carry themselves, the way they speak. And they just knew. They had a guy there. I think he was drafted in the fourth or fifth round, which was strange because because of how well he's been kicking everyone's takeaway on Twitter was this is why you draft a kicker early, but he was drafted in the fifth round. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking that I was thinking, yeah, I missed the, <laughs> missed the point here similar. entirely. Yeah. Yeah. This is just do your research and uh, pick wisely. Yeah. I really feel like the, the kicker is where your scouts are earning the money because you probably, I'm sure you can get someone who does drift low but does have a leg on him like he does. I think, yeah, that's where I think your scouting department is really earning their coin. Yeah. Uh, By the way, that um, that guy missing the one in the in the uh, the yes. Chiefs Bill game, <laughs> when missing one short, it was like, was it? Four, sounds crazy to say because it's still a long, long distance. Like yeah, it, was was in the, it was in the Rams game, and it didn't even go left to right. It went short, didn't it? And I was like, oh, what yeah. the hell's going on here? It was a Rams kicker when Brady was trying to mount his comeback. Of course, it fucking was. Because Cam was on the Rams, and he was like, "I actually go short from that forty yards." <laughs> um, all right, the game uh, we hesitate to talk about. Um, Gotta be snowy, A snowy night at Lambeau. Um, Gold makes a forty-five-yard field goal as time expires to take the 49ers through to the next round. Um, the top-seeded Packers go out 13-10, possibly Aaron Rodgers' last game in Green Bay. Um, as close to a guarantee as it could be when Gold stepped up, made all 20 of his career playoff field goal attempts and uh, just helped the 49ers complete what, if you were trusting your eye test, was a very improbable comeback by scoring 10 unanswered points in the last five minutes. Um, just depressing, really. Rodgers goes <laughs> 20 for 29, 20 of 29 for 225 yards, but never really felt like he was cooking. Um, it was just a pretty poor display by almost everyone on the field. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, the, the, the defence did their job. The offence kind of did their job in, until it came time to put points on the board. And the special teams just <laughs> stunk the place out. But it's obviously you, you blame the special teams because that's where the game is turned. But one, it shouldn't have been in a position where it was determined by those finer margins. And also, the special teams have been an issue all season. It's not been a secret. Um, if they change the special teams coordinator again, what is going to be the third special teams? coordinator mm. in three seasons yeah it's like could you not have made a change during the season when things aren't going well um can you not try and bring some guys in i mean you look at the bucks you look at all of these teams you look at the rams i mean they're still picking up players right late into the season right up until the <laughs> deadline the packers just seem to accept it and say a little don't have the guys we have this season but we've got Aaron Rodgers, so it shouldn't matter yeah, and that's typically been their answer to, to most things, hasn't it? Um, 
I think if you're a team that thinks they're going for a championship, then you want to be ticking every box and kind of just going, well, hopefully the special teams don't cost us. It's a pretty amateurish uh, sort of mentality to have. I always do think that with the... And you have like sort of Jeff on our one going crazy about special teams or whatever, which I think I always think people get mad about it because it's something that should be simple, that you should be able to get right and everything else should be able to take care of itself. And yet, so when you're fucking that up, how are you supposed to do the more complex side of the game when you, well, you can't, you know, you can't give them a punt or whatever? It's well, uh, remarkable. Pre game, I hope special teams don't cost us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For one, a, a group that I would assume are lacking confidence probably not going to help their cause. No, no. And also, just sort it out. Like, yeah. I don't want to read this before the game. Yeah, what horrible messaging as well, yeah. But but I do think if the other side of the game is doing their job, then there's only so much damage the special teams can do anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? If if the offence is cooking, this won't be a, a problem. If the defence doesn't fall apart as it does in previous years, not this year, but in previous years, you can blame them. So I, I do think even when the special teams is sort of the primary thing you can point point in a, in a loss, You've got to look at the other things and say, well, if these have been right, that that isn't an issue anyway. And I think I do think this one is on is on Rogers in a way that probably more than any of the other defeats they've had. And they've all he's got obviously got a bit of responsibility in all of them. Yeah. Uh, and I think increasingly as the years have gone, I think last year was there was a decent bit on him. And I think this one is. I think once you score on the opening drive, yeah, I mean, to then not get on there again is just uh, unforgivable, really, for, for any quarterback, let alone for Rogers. It, it's, it certainly wasn't that way on the timeline, but I thought they were pretty much absolving him of a lot of blame um, on the broadcast. You reckon? Uh, I mean, they went in, it's, I guess it's probably quite easy to go on special teams because it's generally a fairly sort of nameless unit, isn't it, in terms of you're not going to run into them probably. Whereas I do think when you've got people on comms that maybe have been in around Aaron Rodgers, maybe, maybe there is some reluctance to dig him out I like I thought they weren't critical to the point where I finished the game thinking yes the special teams are ultimately when you're writing your report you say this is where the game turned but they certainly weren't number one on my list of people that I, I was feeling disappointed in after the game no no exactly and it's it's hard to make a comparison, but it's sort of like if you see if you concede from a corner in football, you never want to concede from a corner. But if your strikers miss three or four open goals, then they they have ultimately cost you the game, haven't they? They should be able to put it home. And the thing about the the Packers is that I thought you had the opening drive looked like regular season Packers, and for the rest of the game looked like playoff Packers. Where that opening one, you thought everything was just flowing, looked fluid, looked nice. And then suddenly everything, every attacking phase just came like clunky. You kind of saw it in the yeah. Butts game last year where Brady, I've said before, he throws three interceptions in a row and the Packers just can't get anything going. And no. Rodgers, who's supposed to be the guy that you're so used to watching him do it, one of the part of the appeal of him is, is just how sort of naturally he looks at doing it and how well he throws a ball. And just nothing seems to quite click again. And it's, it must be partly, anyway, a mental thing. I know part of it is... I think the Niners are a difficult star matchup for the Packers anyway. But, yeah, it's just, they, they just look so different. Yeah, and then 
usually uh, Mason Crosby you looked at as as much of a guarantee as you're probably looking at gold on on the other side. Um, and then all season he's been terrible. When you're getting your field goals blocked to make the game ten nil going into half time, right? It's kind of on the wall, things like that. I, I think he's it just he's full of this year, isn't he? Um, yeah, I tweeted during the game saying, "Hot." surely like you you can't lose this and and the next one was like they're actually going to lose this and you could just feel it once the time was going down and I don't think I fully appreciated how long was left when they got their first points on the board because all of a sudden it was like oh shit <laughs> what? yeah yeah go on top Suddenly very quickly now, like, yeah um Everything went in like slow motion when when the kick was blocked for them to just go and get the touchdown. Like to the point where I was confused at what was happening. Like I was like, "Is this is this a touchdown?" Because they all just looked so perplexed by what was going on. They couldn't believe what was happening either. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that was a familiar feeling. I think we've seen it in the playoff games before. I think when it starts to start going wrong, you can see it slipping away from them. And as a fan watching, you kind of you get into panic mode. I think the players do as well. I think you, there's a yeah. the same sort of tone to each of these Packers losses, I think, where it's, there's a sort of impending doom you can see is just slowly closing in on them. And then you knew immediately after the, is this the end for Aaron Rodgers? Is he ever going to play football again? Is he going to play football in Green Bay again? I, I didn't particularly like his interviews after and I avoided a lot of them, but I don't think he was accepting much blame. Uh, I thought a lot of what he was saying looking into next season was essentially, you better get everything in place for me because I'm not putting up with any more shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was. It felt to me like an opportunity to leverage, which obviously isn't a great feeling when you've just lost. I thought... drag on as well. Yeah. I thought the... Which, you know... If anyone with an ounce of self-awareness would look, oh, well, this is weird. This exact same thing happened 12 months ago. Well, yeah. less obviously because we went out earlier even. The, um, but the, I thought this whole, the game and the aftermath, I did watch a couple of his interviews, uh, served as probably the, the perfect example of those who have sought to criticise him of everything they've ever criticised of him. I went missing in the big moment, couldn't get it done. I thought in the aftermath, like you said, didn't take any responsibility, was keen to let everyone else know what they did wrong, that it was their fault, not his. And I personally felt looking at him, well, he kind of made it about him, didn't he? He kind of made it about his future yeah. rather than that I've, you know, generally whenever in any sport, they'll be like, look, I've let the team down. Even when they haven't, they'll go, I've let the yeah. team down, I take responsibility. There was none really of that from him. I also felt watching him, kind of... It's, I, I don't like saying this about any sportsman, but it does exist where I wonder how much you've really hurt him. I kind of, I, I didn't get the impression you're that hurt by it. I think you obviously wanted to win and you're a bit down and yeah. you lost. But I, I contrast that to like Brady, who will like walk off the pitch and not shake the other person's hand if he's not feeling it, if he's yeah. lost. He's like, you can just see how much it eats him up. And I, I don't get that impression even in the slightest with Rogers. I kind of feel like it's. Oh, he's almost like a boxer who's kind of accepted that he will lose every now and again. You know, we've kind yeah. of said that every now and again a boxer will accept that, that I might go in there. And get yeah, there's, and there's, 
kind of an acceptance that yeah, okay, I, I lose sometimes from Rogers. I saw some tweets that you wouldn't usually expect because you get like the timeline was weighted. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, a lot. I saw someone that. say he's had like the roughest twenty-four hours I've seen up someone in the world. I do think it says a lot about kind of the COVID discourse and I'm not really uh, having a debate about that on here, but where people are saying like he's now more dislikable than Tom Brady because of the whole vaccine debate and this and that. But the people that would usually be defending him and you'd struggle to find any Packers fan prior to Saturday to have a bad word to say about him. And um, I saw one where a Packers fan, um, ticket holder, I believe, um, was at it and was going back and forth about the game, about Jimmy G and all of this. They pointed out effectively um, that they won in spite of Jimmy G. Um, he's not that guy. It just turns out Rogers isn't that guy either, was mm. the, the, the tweet I saw and I wouldn't have expected to see anything of the sort prior to Saturday. And maybe it's people gearing up for the fact that he might not be here next season. But yeah, partly probably part of it, isn't it? There was a lot more fingers like, hang on a minute. You've got to out before here as well. You're not what we've been defending you as. Yeah, well, I think there is a growing uh, awareness of that. I think there's, there's only so much sort of evidence you can see sort of fight against isn't there there's only so much you can sort of defend uh, I think really this sort of the slight decline of the ratio with the Packers fans and Rodgers probably starts last year yeah where I said I think you have the first time a loss that is a decent chunk is on him I think you've got to also factor in that that's for the first time in a while they've put a decent roster together with a good coach and they've got home advantage so the first, he's kind of had the the chips have been sort of stacked for him. He's had, he's had the bye week. He's had the home advantage. It's kind of the things that he's previously been able to point to say, well, we've had to go on the road. We haven't had the bye week. Whatever. All those things have been stripped away, and he's still not been able to get it done. And so it becomes very hard to sort of then go. Well, it sounds even fanciful now, but the com- the conversation was like him and Brady. And you go, well, yeah. look, Rogers is clearly the more gifted guy. His numbers are better. And if he'd just been put in a Belichick team, he'd have done everything that Brady had done, plus more. And that becomes pretty much impossible to argue now. And that's in the space of 12 months, in the space of basically two playoff runs. It's basically busted that myth entirely, which I was probably someone who would probably go along with a lot of those arguments. I would say, look, I think he has had a pretty rough run a lot this time with the Packers. And I think when you take a step back and you look at this period, there is a lot more... Uh, I think, weight of blame on the Packers organisation and on Rodgers. I think on this back end, I think the organisation has started to get things right and Rodgers is starting to be culpable. And threatening to leave consistently eventually will erode your relationship with the fans, whoever you are. And when the fans were previously going, well, I think his demands are right. They'll say your demands are right as long as you're upholding your end of the bargain. And not... (laughs) shitting out in the playoffs is not upholding your end of the bargain unfortunately because like over here we had it a couple of times with Rooney didn't we where he'd say he want to leave but the thing was he'd win the league that season and it's very quick it's very easy to forgive you then mm. and say well hang on <laughs> when you're not doing that 
uh, you don't get the same uh, leniency. Yeah. And before we move on, if, if I was to ask you to uh, put your money on the line today, would you say he's in Green Bay at the start of next season? No. No, I think he'll go. Retire or go somewhere else? I think he'll do a stint somewhere else. I think he'll think in his mind that he can do a Brady-esque leave and win and then a sort of a middle finger up to the haters, the doubters, whatever, however you want to put it, and to pack his organisation a little bit. Go somewhere like the Steelers, you can probably see. We've seen Patriots fans root for Brady after he's left there. Do you think you could do the same for Rodgers or would it depend where he went? Well, it definitely depends on who he went on where he went. Um, but I think he, let's say, I think he is great to watch. He, you, you'd yeah. have that. Um, I think it would probably depend on how he was once he left. And frankly, if you had to have your money on how he was going to be once he left, I imagine <laughs> probably wouldn't be overly likable. Gonna be honest, no. so you, you probably wouldn't be too. Uh, I imagine if the came the time came to it, you wouldn't be rooting for him too hard. You're going to be on the skip side. And let's face it, you're also going to be in a, a difficult position in that Adams probably follows him out the door. So this is not ideal for the Packers anyway. Um, I, and Jordan Love, if he's going to be the guy, it, it's probably not going to be pretty for the Packers. So you're probably going to have a rough few years, which will I'll, create a lot of bitterness. I'll tell you now that I've had almost a nightmare this morning um, that Deshaun Watson comes in to Green Bay. <laughs> what is it, what have you got some sort of like moral dilemma? Is that is that what that is? Well I, yeah, I just think that would be a rough one. Um because I don't think if these charges go away, it's not that you've been found innocent. It's that the charges have mysteriously been dropped is gonna be the way that's gonna go if it if it does go that way. And yeah, I think that would be a a, a we a, a strange one to try and deal with. He's, it's going to be tricky for whoever ends up with him, isn't it? Because you've got an unbelievable talent who hey, look, has... They, no issue. <laughs> yeah, but but then that is the, the other thing. You're going to say, it sounds awful. Fans have short memories when you're winning, when you're playing well. And yeah. we're in a league where people have got rap sheets that do not look pretty. So yeah. as much as he might be maybe the most high-profile example of this... Ultimately, he is, like I said, going into a league where people aren't choir boys. If we talk about this final game then, and then we'll just uh, give our predictions. Um, the Buccaneers game, um, I picked the Rams. I, do, uh, I went three for four. Uh, no, two for four, sorry. I was counting a Bills win because uh, I had that win to say last night. <laughs> and I didn't get over the line. Um, okay, I had the... Uh, Bengals win and uh, the Rams win, which doesn't feel as good after I downplayed the Bengals pick earlier as well. Um, looked like it was going to be a rout early on. Matt Stafford comes out like, playing the football of his career. Mm. Um, and then he finds himself still on the sideline, helplessly watching Brady do Brady after, what was it, four turnovers essentially in like the last two quarters. Um, they get themselves back level, the Bucks, but they leave 42 seconds on the clock and it was a bit of a idea of what was going to come down the line um, in the next game because Stafford goes right down the field, 
and then they kick themselves a field goal um, to take the W. 366 yards for Stafford, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Um, the guy that they went out there and got, their, their big acquisition over the summer, and you'd have to say it's paid off when you look at that. Yeah, yeah, it's paid off in that Jared Goff isn't doing that, is he? He isn't. No. He isn't winning that game. Um, and we, we, I said about how there's a feeling of these Packers losses that the tone has been set, and it, you can see the direction it's going, and the momentum basically becomes unstoppable. Well, you can absolutely say that about Brady. <laughs> Normally, yeah. once it starts going like this, the person start, the other team start drowning, and they drown. And so to be able to get back out, I thought was testament to the round and definitely to Stafford, who had a pretty much faultless game, as you've pointed out there. And yet they, still, his team nearly cost him. They did it in the studio, didn't they? Where you kind of joke at first and say, well, Brady's been down by this much before. They come back on, lads. And then they get a touchdown and it's like, okay, the, the, it might be on. The, the, they come back. Oh, shit. They're actually going to do this. The comeback is on. Um, and I will I will acknowledge it was in an expression of frustration. But when I wrote in the group yesterday, like, how do these teams just lose their mind against it? But it's just decision making just goes out the window. Yeah, just everyone just starts like doing it. You're like, I have no idea why you're doing this. Well, in in fairness, I mean, I've got several that I could uh, draw reference to. But my driving test previously, my main issue is I'm essentially focus so much on don't do this one thing but I don't do that and then something else foolish <laughs> and you've got to think when you're the Rams in that position when they get the points back on the board you may be thinking alright don't fumble don't fumble don't fumble don't fumble and then you do something else stupid instead you run the wrong route or you don't get open or I don't know something else foolish happens and when everyone else there when you're made main focus is on trying not to lose and we see this in a lot of sports you forget that you do still have to go out there and win and get yeah, yourself over it. the line Yeah, and they look like they were just so transfixed on not making a mistake because the second they then had to go out and win they snapped it back on very impressively like you said but it's very rare that you can do that and the way they just torched through that defence with 42 seconds left, Cooper Cup um, had a great game. OBJ, they got involved early on. Packers could have picked him up, by the way, but they didn't want to uh, put the money on the table. Yeah, that's not great at all, is it? When you look at a big part of it, was basically he wouldn't trust anyone else to throw to. Yeah. Ugh. When when Fournette had his nine-yard run on fourth and inches, 42 seconds left, you kind of just think, the Rams are going to settle for overtime, hope for the best, just just uh, effectively just finish what they've started and say, go on, claim your comeback. You're the best. But they don't do that, and the Rams are through to the next round. Yeah. I'm glad. They are, I know they're a bit of a, I don't, they're not quite Harlem Globetrotters, but they have obviously got together a lot of, a lot of star names in there. So yeah. I'm glad because they are they are kind of good fun to watch for that if nothing yeah. else. Look yeah. at obviously OBJ's had a bit of a resurgence, um, but Von Miller was looking not exactly prime yeah. Von Miller, but was doing things that you thought 
okay, he's going to cause whoever he plays problems. And obviously Donald yeah. was Donald. So yeah. they, they, uh, yeah, they're, they're interesting teams to have in there. Yeah. Yeah. Can't by the way, the, people are often asking with this, like, uh, basically why OBJ's had this resurgence. And I thought some of the ones obviously about probably made for LA, but big market, a bit more sort of, well, it's Hollywood, isn't it? Um, yeah. And, but I thought it was a fairly simple one of, a little bit like we said with, um, Davis and the Bills, when you're so focused on stopping Stefan Dix, then the other guy is just going to automatically yeah. have more fun. And when you've got Cooper Cup as the other option, people are so worried about hit. Obi yeah. is bound to get more looks than at, you know, at Cleveland or whatever. He's bound to get more uh, availability. Yeah. So it seems pretty obvious, some of it. I think people sometimes look for things with him where it's just pretty simple. Lane Baker. Um, Absolutely. If we, which is, if we just give our picks here, we won't break it down to the extent we did last week because we've had more games to get into. But mm. um, Bengals at Chiefs. Are you surprised if I tell you that the handicap on the Chiefs is minus seven? Would you have expected more than that? No, I've, I think that's probably only because they're never going to go too much in, in a divisional game like this. They're never going to go too heavy. So that is top end, I would say. And they probably just back that if Burrow can have a big game and the Chiefs aren't quite what they were at against the Bills, there's some, there's some closeness. But yeah, I personally think it's just going to it's going to look like, apart from the fact that the Chiefs are the best team left in anyway, I think it's going to just look like a game too far for the Bengals. So I think this could be one that, that gets out of out of hand pretty quick, I think. Um, last time these two faced off, the Bengals didn't sack Mahomes once and they didn't force a single turnover all game. Um, you'd think they have to they have to rectify that going into this, or they've got really no chance. Yeah, you've considered the Chiefs weren't even cooking like they are then, uh, like they are now, so that would be messy if they did the same again. Um, so you, you think quite comfortably, um, you don't think this one's going down to the fourth quarter? No, no, I think we've we've been spoiled this weekend and we're not getting that one. Not certainly not in this game anyway. Mahomes now is um seven and one with twenty three touchdowns and one interception in AFC playoff games. And the one is an overtime loss to Brady, isn't it? Brady's yeah. Patriots, I believe. So where he didn't again didn't get his hands on the ball. So it's not a bad record. No, I think the Bengals are gonna keep this close. Um and I think the Chiefs will ultimately pull away at the end. But I think they're going to at least give us some moments to get excited about. If they can take the lead, maybe if they can take a two-score lead and have the Chiefs chasing, that could be great fun. But I think this You're is describing be... Sean's worst nightmare there, watching the Chiefs yeah. mount a comeback on them. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we're at least going to get some excitement. I don't think this is going to be a game where almost like at halftime we were feeling with the... Uh, Rams game yesterday. I, I don't think we're going to have a feeling like that. Um, I hope you're I hope right. Anyway, yeah. Forty um, Niners at the Rams. Um, Rams lost twice to the Forty Niners in the regular season, um, ultimately because they couldn't run in those games. They averaged fifty-eight rushing yards in those two losses, mm. and Stafford threw two interceptions in each of them. Um, you think 
they're going to clean things up for this game. Um, you taking the Rams here? Rams Chiefs Super Bowl. I think so, and it's but it's with um, some reluctance to rule out the 49ers. And essentially, if they can make a game difficult, close, the style of the, the Green Bay game, you pick them against most teams just because of how they're coached and how Shanahan does it. And for all the stick he gets, Jimmy G is adequate. He's not outstanding, but he's normally adequate. He will throw, obviously, the occasional loose one, but he normally, as long as he knows his role, can normally manage a game, if nothing else. Uh you said about the Rams not being able to run, but Akers, obviously that fumble hasn't helped things, but has got better and better, I think, yeah. and has been useful in the playoffs. So you would assume he'll get a bit more of it than he did. And so I, I do think the Rams are the pick, but I've, I think this will be close. I really Debo, do. Debo averaged 11 yards a carry um, it, in the last he's game freakish. He's freakish. He's freakish. Yeah. Of all the... You know, I think I've said it on four and eight, but it's, of the non-quarterback players, he's the most impactful, isn't he? You watch him, you're like, what do you do with this guy? You think if the Rams' best players turn up and the 49ers' best players turn up, then the Rams win. Yeah, it's probably fair. It's, Stafford probably has to Mainly pick they up have where more, he left off. More of them. Yeah, yeah they, they've got more options, haven't they? I think um, it's a good coaching matchup as well, two good coaches. So that, there's an interesting element to it there. But, the the only thing with Stafford is is that does he get is there any element of overconfidence? Does he look at that game last week and go start thinking he can make plays all over the place? Which Niners obviously defense is is good, so he's not going to have uh, the Bucks at times would have plenty of holes in him, so he's not going to have that much of a field day. So if they can start roughing him up a little bit, that'll be interesting to see how he copes a bit. But probably uh, probably going to give him the benefit of the doubt, bearing in mind how he's just played. Fact it didn't all go their way in the end. Stafford came off the pitch shaking his head. Yeah, you're but right. It should um, ensure that they keep focused. Yeah, yeah, that's true. If they just routed the Bucks, they're probably thinking they've they got Super Bowl already, don't they? So there we go. All right. Thank you again for listening to another edition of the Spitballing Pod. We will be back next week. Um, if Sean wants to come on, he can. He missed his chance, but we'll see. Who- Headphones died as I was saying goodbye. I was about to say, I didn't hear the end of that. <laughs> Time to go. Uh, adios. <laughs>